In John chapter 21 this morning, we're going to look at a passage that is very familiar to many of us. At least a portion of it, I believe, is probably familiar to all of us. But I want to challenge you this morning to put yourself alongside the disciples to see of Galilee. As they tried to figure things out, they tried to figure out how do we go on living life without Jesus being here with us every day. It was a drastic change, a dramatic difference from what they had experienced for three years prior to the crucifixion. Now Jesus had died. He had been buried. They knew that he had risen because they had seen him. He had appeared to them several times. Not only had they heard the testimony of the ladies who went to the tomb that first morning and those two disciples who came back who had been traveling to Emmaus, but but they had seen him themselves. But now it seems as if perhaps a little bit of time had gone by. They find themselves going back home, back to where they'd first met him. Back to Galilee. I want us to read how John records these events. The Gospel of John, the 21st chapter, we're going to read together beginning at verse 1. If you have your Bible open there, I'm going to invite you, if you can, will to stand with me in honor of our Heavenly Father as we read together from His Word this morning. Afterward, Jesus appeared to His disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards off. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I pray that the word of God feeds your heart on this day. Father, I thank you for your word. Holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant. The words of life that challenge us in our sinfulness, that convict us when we fail you, that draw us when you speak our names. Father, I pray this morning as we spend these moments together, you would teach us your truth. Show us your way. Help us to understand that which you have for each one of us. And Father, as you call our names individually today, I pray that we would hear and be obedient. Now teach us what we need to learn this morning. Well, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. This is one of those after Easter stories. Post-resurrection appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not the same as the dramatic appearance and announcement to the women at the tomb, that the tomb was empty, that Jesus was alive. It, it's simply a story of a man meeting his friends early one morning. There are two main characters in this account. One is the Lord Jesus Christ. The other is Peter. I want us to look first this morning at Peter. And I want you to see Peter walking it back. He's headed home. He's on, I mean, just put yourself in the situation. He's going back to Galilee. We find him at the beginning of this chapter. He's arrived. He's there. He's in Galilee. He is back where it all began. Now, you know, some people, can, you can look at this a couple of different ways. You can look at it from one side and say, well, he's going back because Jesus had told one of the ladies at the tomb to tell the disciples and Peter that he would meet them in Galilee. And so they're going back to the place of meeting. You can also look at it and say, you know what? He's going back to where he started. He's going back to his old way of life. He's going back. I don't know which way is correct. Maybe it's both. But the reality is that Peter is back in his home place. We tend to go home when we hurt. When we hurt, when we struggle, when we fail, we want to go to our safe place. And for most of us, our safe place is home. Peter went home. The others did as well. And so why was Peter hurting? What was, really? We tend to forget the story quickly, don't we? So let me remind us. 
You remember that night in the upper room? Jesus had told his friends there that one of them was going to betray him. They, they all wondered, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? They couldn't figure it out. But Peter, in the midst of that conversation, says, Lord, you know what? These other guys, they might betray you. They might deny you. They might turn on you. They might fail you. But not me, Lord. I'll never fail you. You remember what the Lord told him? Peter, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times. Sure enough, he did. He was hurt. He was hurt by his own failure. The test came and they asked him, aren't you one of his disciples? No, I don't even know this man. And that denial pierced his own heart. Why, even before that, whenever they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, you remember Judas came, betrayed him with a kiss, and and Peter, he, he tried to play Prince Valiant that night. He pulled his sword and showed what a failure he was. As a soldier, all he could do was cut off an ear. So many things have gone wrong in his life. You know, I, I just, all I can do is put myself in Peter's place and imagine what it would have been. If I had been Peter, I would have wanted so desperately to have just a few minutes alone with Jesus, just, just to be able to talk to him, just to tell him how sorry I was. How, I knew I failed him. I, I knew I abandoned him, but I, I didn't mean it. It wasn't my heart. It was my fear. He'd seen Jesus a couple of times, but Jesus had appeared in the upper room. Everybody was there. There wasn't any time for a private conversation. There there wasn't any time for that kind of of a discussion. Now here he is in Galilee. Maybe there was still a chance. They were home, back at the lake. Man, it's a beautiful place. Fisherman, what do you do when you go to the lake? You fish. And amazing, only three or four people in this room know what to do when they go to the lake. If you're a fisherman and you go to the lake, you go fishing. And so there's Peter. He, he's there. He told his friends, look, I'm going out to fish. Any, any fisherman can see the sense in that. When you have a troubled heart, you go fishing. When you don't know which way to turn, you go fishing. When you've disappointed yourself or failed your family, you go fishing. When your world's caved in and you're just trying to figure out how to put it back together, you go fishing. It it seems sensible. You see, Peter was there. He was mixed up. His, His heart was right. He loved the Lord, but he couldn't forget what he had done that night. He was struggling to forgive himself. He was struggling to get past all of that. He had to be asking himself questions. Did I lose my cool one time too many? Did I fail Jesus to the point that he can no longer use me? What's my world going to be like if, if, if the Lord's work goes on, but I'm cast out of it? Folks, those are real questions. They may even be some of the questions that some of you have been asking yourselves lately. What's it look like if I'm not part of what Jesus is doing? So he went fishing. 
All his friends went with him. You know, Peter was still a leader. Just by sheer personality and forcefulness of who he was, he was still a leader. And so when he said, I'm going fishing, they all just got up and went. And out they went onto the boat. They spent the night. Have you ever noticed how sometimes it seems like one failure in your life breeds the next? And it just goes on and on and on. And We're told here they fished all night and they caught nothing. Peter was probably thinking to himself, man, I've got failure written all over me. I I can't even go back and succeed at my old job. What Peter didn't know was something that many of us fail to know as well. Are you ready? Until our hearts are right with Jesus, we're never going to know true success. We're never going to feel like we succeed at anything because we're chasing the wrong things. We're pursuing the wrong desires. It's not until our heart and our relationship with Christ is right that we begin to find joy and satisfaction in what we're doing and how we do it. So many of us are like Peter. We spend our lives pursuing the things that will never bring satisfaction when the one thing that would give us all the joy and fulfillment of the world is right in front of us. We've sinned against the Lord. By word, by deed, by thought, we've denied him. Nothing is going to seem right again until we have a little talk with Jesus. And then Peter, John, they had a a deja vu moment. Y'all know what deja vu is, right? You're caught in the middle of a situation, caught in the middle of a moment, and you think to yourself, Man, this looks familiar. It's like, I've done this before. And that's what it was like for them. If you've got your Bible open, you can look. It says in verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was him. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. A voice in the morning, Peter, a fisherman. He and his friends had worked all night long. They had cast the nets and drawn the nets, cast the nets and drawn the nets, cast the nets and drawn the nets from dark until light, and the nets kept coming back empty. And now all of a sudden a voice from the shore calls out, have you caught anything? No. Well, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. See, we read it and it's just such a simple story. But I'm asking you, put yourself inside of Peter for a moment. Really? I'm the professional fisherman here. Who do you think you are telling me where to cast my net? I know none of us have ever responded like that when someone's challenged us in our failures. Peter had to be thinking to himself, who is that? Doesn't he realize that I've been sailing on this water my entire life? I've pulled more fish out of this lake than that guy could eat in a lifetime. Who does he think he is telling me how to fish? I've been kind of touchy about my failures sometimes. I don't know about you. I think most of us get that way. Someone tries to help us, and we'll thank them to mind their own business. 
I don't know if it was that Peter's pride was broken. I don't know if it was his friend saying, hey, Peter, what do we got to lose? Pitch it out the other side. But they cast the net on the other side, and boom, a miraculous catch of fish. They began to draw the nets, and there were so many fish that they couldn't get it into the boat. And it was in the midst of that moment when John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. You know, it's kind of like that moment late at night when you're kids and you're doing what you're not supposed to in your bedroom. And you hear the door begin to open and it's, it's dad. (laughs) John knew. It's the Lord. You say, well, how did he know that? Well, maybe, maybe he just knew. Maybe it was a moment of revelation. Maybe he was remembering that day. You remember back in Luke chapter 5? A similar thing had happened. They had fished and fished and fished and caught nothing. And Jesus, well, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they couldn't get it in. They had to call their friends to come and help them. And as that net began to pull the boat to lean to the other side, John thought to himself, I know that voice. I've heard that voice. I've even heard those words before. Peter, it's the Lord. And, and isn't that just like Jesus to show up when we need him the most? Isn't it just like Jesus to show up and give us hope when we feel hopeless? To give us some measure of success when we feel like we can't do anything wrong, Right? Peter had gone back to his old ways, to his old life. He had lost the joy. He had lost the assurance that comes from the presence of Jesus. And then Jesus was there. Amazing. Peter gathered up his outer cloak and jumped out of the boat. (laughs) This is the same guy who tried to walk on water and about drowned. All right, and now he's, he's tying himself up with a, a, a gown, a cloak, and jumping out in the water. Hey, Jesus saved me once before. He'll save me again. I trust him. He wanted to get there. He so desperately needed to have a conversation with Jesus. Well, we read it. They got to the bank. Jesus already had a fire going. Breakfast was cooking. He said, bring some more fish over. So they went and got some of the fish. Peter pulled the net up onto the bank. 153 large fish. Doesn't say small fish. Doesn't say sardines. 153 large fish. And yet the nets did not break. Hmm. And they ate breakfast. Now, I want you to just put yourself there. Okay? Sandy Beach. They've eaten. John tells us none of them dared to ask Jesus who he was. They knew it was him, but they didn't want to be. I don't know what Jesus looked like. Apparently they didn't either. But just imagine it. They finished eating, and Jesus, being Jesus, knows everything. He probably looks over at Peter, and Peter's gaze has been on him the whole time. And Jesus looks at him and grins and says, Kind of, you know, that, let's go for a walk, Peter. And they begin to stroll down the beach. And that, that opportunity 
for a conversation that Peter had wanted that hadn't been there. Now he had it. It was just him and Jesus. And as they walked along, Jesus asked him a great personal question. It's the question that all of us know so well out of John 21. Finally, they're alone. And, and you know, Peter, he, you know, his heart has to be thumping. Man, what am I going to tell him? What if I say the wrong thing? How, how's he going to react? But Jesus asked him the question. Not, not a question. Don't, don't ever make a mistake with this. He didn't ask him a question. He asked Peter the question. You got your Bible? Verse 15. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, I just want you to look at that for a moment because I want you to understand something that happens right here at the very beginning of this. Jesus calls him by his old name. He doesn't call him Peter, Rock. No, Simon, son of John. The one you were at the very beginning. The man you used to be. Do you love me? Agapeo. Agape love. Do you love me with, with self-sacrificing, giving, other-serving love? Do you love me like that? Do you truly agapeo me more than these? Now, understand, we read that, and most of us never think about the fact there are two possible questions there. Do you love me more than your other friends who are here? Or the other possibility is, do you love me more than they love me? You see, the Greek language doesn't have any punctuation marks, so we don't get any help there. We just get the words, and we have to try to figure it out. I think Jesus was asking him, do you love me more than you love these other friends of yours? Say, well, why would you think that? Because of what he had said all through his ministry. You're going to have to love me more than anything else. You're going to have to be willing to lay down your life and follow me. No one and nothing else is going to be able to stand in the way if you're going to love me the way that you need to. Simon, son of John, do you love me like that? There are two Greek words that come into play here. The first one I've already shared with you, agapeo, agape. Most of you are familiar with the word agape. It's translated love. This is what Jesus is asking Peter. Do you love me? It's a sacrificial love. It's, it's the kind of love that God has for us. That he would send his son. He would give his own son so that we could be saved, be redeemed, be given new life. 
He asks Peter, do you love me? Do you agape oh, me? And Peter responds and says, Lord, I feel it in you. Say, wait, my Bible says love. Yes, it does. There's another word for love, philia, which talks about brotherly love. We have a sensitivity toward each other. So here's Jesus asking Peter, do you love me this way? And here's Peter saying, I love you this way. The second time, Jesus asked him again, do you love me? Agape. The second time, Peter answers, I love you. Philia. third time Jesus asked him do you love me and he uses the word philia and Peter says you know that I do I've already told you that folks I've wrestled with this scholars have wrestled with this and I'm not one of them People have wrestled with this for centuries, trying to make sense out of this. Was Jesus asking for something more than Peter could give? Did Peter feel like he couldn't say that he loved the Lord that way because of the failure that he had committed and the denial that had occurred? We don't know. All I know is beyond any question, here is the Lord saying, Peter, do you love me? And if you do, I have a purpose for you. I have a job for you. I've got something for you to do. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. Watch over my flock. I found myself reading this passage over and over and over this week, and I, I wondered, what would I say if Jesus asked me this question? Lord, you know that I love you. Then do what I'm asking you to. Now, I'm going to take you beyond the passage we read this morning, but still in this chapter. Because I don't think we can close at this point without going ahead and understanding that the Lord gave to Peter a final challenging command. He asked Peter that third time, do you love me? And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he explained to Peter what his future was going to look like. He said, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He was telling Peter the manner of his death. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. The same two words that Peter had heard three years before on the lake of that same, that same lake shore. Follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I want you to hear something, friends. I want you to listen very carefully. Because I think that much of 21st century American Christianity has missed a truth. 
And I don't want us to miss the truth. I want us to get it. I want us to understand it even if in our lifetimes we don't experience it. I believe that many of us will. But here is the reality. Following Christ is about self-sacrifice and it is about suffering. He invited Peter to follow him knowing how Peter would die on a cross outside of Rome, upside down. He invites us to follow him knowing what our outcome is going to be and how we will arrive there. Many of us will never suffer. Martyrdom may not be in our future, but it very well could be. I want you to understand the truth. Jesus never calls us by simply saying, here, let me save you from hell. I've heard a lot of people say, why why do you want to believe in Jesus? Well, I don't want to go to hell. Well, I don't know anybody who wants to go to hell. But my friend, can I tell you something? Jesus does not call you to himself simply to deliver you out of hell. He does not offer us eternal life and salvation simply so that we can sit in comfort and soak up the blessings of the kingdom while never engaging our world with the gospel. Jesus' call is always, follow me. When Jesus first called those disciples and said, follow me, where was he going? He was going to touch a world and then go to a cross and die. That's why he told them, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. The call of Jesus to follow is a call to go after him wherever he has gone. It's a call to to die to self and live on his mission. And I've had people ask me, what's his mission? His mission was explained by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, where he says this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As if God himself were making his appeal through us. And we implore you. We implore you, we we plead with you, we beg with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. It's not a popular message. Peter, Peter was being called into a whole new ministry. It wasn't like anything he'd done before. It, It was something totally different. But he could not be useful to God if he was divided in his devotions. If he was going to shepherd the sheep, 
He had to genuinely love the Lord with all his heart. Jesus had to be the first. Jesus had to be the last. And Jesus had to be everything in between. And friends, if we are going to follow Jesus... If we have a longing, a desire in our hearts to engage in this ministry of reconciliation to which he has called all of us, we must put an end to living with divided hearts. We must commit our efforts to sharing the good news of Jesus wherever we go, with whomever we come in contact, at any point, at any time. And I have one question for us. Church, are we ready? I can wait all day. Are we ready? Maybe you're not ready because you're not sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior this morning. I want you to know something about my Jesus. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you cleansing. He offers you life. He offers you purpose. But he asks for repentance, for surrender, and for service. Are you ready to offer that to him? Well, then let's do this. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. After I've prayed, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing a song of commitment, a song of surrender. It may be that you're here this morning and you realize you need a Savior. You realize. Maybe your name's on a church roll. Maybe your name's on a Sunday school roll. Friend, I'm not worried about that, to be perfectly honest. I want to know, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Have you come to a place in your life where you understood that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior and you could not save yourself? Have you called out to Him in confession? Have you repented of your sin, turned away from it in order to chase Him with all of your heart? If not, do you need to do that today? You might be saying in your head, yes, I, I need to do that. But in your head, you're also saying, but I'm not sure exactly what that means or how to go about that or what that's going to look like. Man, that's why we would love to visit with you and pray with you this morning and share with you from the Word of God how you can become His child, born again, blood-bought and redeemed today. When we stand and begin to sing, if you need that relationship, would you come and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, everything else means nothing. I need a relationship with Jesus today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. He wants to call the world to himself, but we're his voice. We are his mouthpiece. We are his people. Are we on mission? Are we doing it? Are we sitting back and waiting and saying, well, somebody else will do it in my place? Follow me. That's what Jesus said, follow me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me give you one last word. Later in that chapter, 
when they got down toward the end of it, Jesus repeated that, but he added a couple of words. He told Peter, you must follow me. You must follow me. If you want what I offer, you must follow me. You must go where I go. You must do what I ask. Are you ready? And hear his voice. Be obedient. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, it's challenging. It's, it's, it's so easy for us to look at someone like Peter and say, Peter, he was this, he was that. And fail to see ourselves. That Father, in all of us, we can see Peter. His only failures were when he lived in his flesh. His only successes were when he walked with you. That's true for all of us. And Father, this morning, I I pray for us in this room. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would sense the convicting power of your Holy Spirit, realizing and recognizing their sin and their inability to do anything about it on their own. That they would run to you in repentance and confession to receive what only you can offer, forgiveness, cleansing, and new life. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I fear we've gotten too comfortable. And I pray today, whatever it takes, that you would make us uncomfortable. That you would challenge us to move out of the seats, to move out of the walls. And take the name of Jesus wherever we go. Father, we can't do it on our own. We know that. We all need a Savior. His name is Jesus. When we have that Savior, we need the power of your Holy Spirit to give us boldness, to give us courage, and to constantly direct us. Father, I pray that you would give us what we need in order to accomplish your calling in our lives. Now take these moments. And even as you're speaking to our hearts now, I pray, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are willing to be open and obedient. And Father, I pray that you would be glorified in the lives of your people and in the life of this church today and every day. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this song through. My friend, if you need to come, I invite you to come. The altar is open. This is God's invitation to you. What is he calling you to do? Would you do it? Do it. Let me issue you an invitation today. Go home and read John 21. And when you get to that conversation, do something. Just just do something for me. Humor me. Where Jesus said, Peter, son of Jonah, put your name instead. And read those questions. And see how God might be speaking to your heart. Sometimes when we make scripture personal, it gets real personal. And that's not a bad thing, folks. 
because it reminds us what we're called to do. And we need to be reminded. So let's go and let's serve our Father.